Welcome to DealCast, the weekly M&A podcast presented to you by MergerMarket and SS&C Intralinks. I'm Juliana Needham. In this episode, we're examining one of the biggest corporate trends of the last 12 months, the boom in special purpose acquisition companies, or SPACs. We're also finding out what the SS&C Intralinks deal flow predictor, using data from the due diligence platform, has revealed about the SPAC trend and other M&A trends globally. Firstly, I spoke to Sophia Sakera, Merger Markets ECM editor for EMEA. Hi, Sophia. Thanks for joining us today. Can we start by looking at why SPACs have become so popular in the last year? Yes, SPACs, they are not entirely new, but they've been going through a huge boom. Uh, it's a combination of drivers, really. We have on the investor side, lots of dry powder to be deployed um, and very low yields elsewhere. Um fewer and fewer companies on the stock market, so fewer opportunities there. The IPO process as well in the US is seen as quite cumbersome and not particularly good at finding the right valuation for companies. So there's a lot of money left on the table. And there's also a sort of sense of security for investors because the way a SPAC works means that um, they can always get their money back if they don't vote for the, if they don't like the target that is being acquired. And then on the other side, you have the issuers finding SPACs as effectively just another tool to raise and deploy capital efficiently and, and find companies to acquire. And then for companies themselves to be acquired by, by SPACs is a much more effective way of becoming listed without going through uh, that cumbersome IPO process. So it's easier, quicker and cheaper for them to have bilateral talks with a SPAC vehicle than to go through a traditional IPO process. And it's been something we've seen a lot of in the US, and it looks like it'll be moving across the Atlantic to Europe. What evidence are you seeing of a SPAC boom in Europe? And will the changes or potential changes to London's listing rules increase the chances for SPAC activity in London and the UK? Yes, we are. We've been monitoring the uh, boom in the US closely, and we're sort of expecting uh, that in Europe as well. We're definitely seeing signs of um you know, an uptick in activity here. We've already have a few um, listed SPACs, uh, mainly in Amsterdam, but also there's been an announcement recently in the Nordics, um, also one in Paris. Uh, in, in, and so we talk to advisors who are creating SPAC-dedicated teams. We talk to um, private equity and corporates who are assessing raising uh, SPAC money. So there's definitely a lot of movement there. And we expect, we heard, for example, up to 15 new vehicles listed by the end of the first half of the year. So nothing like the US, but definitely growing numbers. Now, what happens in the UK compared to the rest of Europe, that's a really interesting point because because of the UK regulation, the existing regulation, it is more difficult. That can be done, definitely, but it is not as flexible as elsewhere. Now, those listing rules are being reviewed and they expect to be changed. And that might happen towards the end of this year. So after those regulations are simplified and, for example, uh, shareholders can vote on a SPAC target being acquired, which is not an option now and, and shares are not suspended as they are now, then we'll probably see more SPAC activity in London. Now, the question that some people ask is whether that will be too late and whether London will have missed on the SPAC train because during this year we will likely see that activity going elsewhere namely to Amsterdam, and that will 
possibly become the spec hub of Europe. So that's an interesting one to follow and see sort of where the tide goes. And what about cross-border activity? We mentioned a few countries there. What kind of cross-border activity are you seeing in the SPAC space? So in terms of cross-border activity, it's been mostly about US SPAC vehicles looking, uh, increasingly looking at Europe when they are searching for targets. There are more than 400 uh, SPAC vehicles looking for targets in the US alone. And so it's definitely a seller's market. And there are lots of uh, companies in Europe, especially you know companies that have already thought about potentially being listed or doing an IPO or attempted an IPO in the past. And they are great SPAC targets and they are definitely talking to lots of US acquirers. So in terms of cross-border activity, that has been the, the main sort of highlight uh, sort of across the pond, let's put it like that. And what about the sectors that are seeing the the most SPAC activity? I've noticed that there are quite a few that are looking to target electric cars or companies linked to electric cars, such as mining, focused on, on battery metals and autonomous vehicles. Yes, anything related to sustainability, to uh, energy transition, green themes, that is very high on the agenda pretty much everywhere, traditional IPOs, M&A, but of course also on SPACs. There's a huge uh, there's huge potential there. Now, if we think of, of SPACs and the kind of uh, companies that people are willing to put money in, one of the key aspects is that often uh, investors are more willing to invest on something that has forecasted growth and not yet, uh, you know, evidence of profits or, you know, a sort of very strong track record. And so for those companies in those particular spaces where it's more about the potential growth rather than, you know, the profit that is already there, that's a perfect fit for a SPAC. So we have a lot on anything related to, um, you know, air taxi companies and uh, batteries, electric vehicles. Those are definitely themes. Anything with an ESG stamp is definitely something that we're seeing a lot on um, on SPACs. There is, for example, one in uh, 2MX Organic in Paris. They are looking to acquire um, a company or targets in the organic consumer space. So there's also that ESG element there and ESG core investments in Amsterdam also looking for a sustainability related target, for example. And do you think they could become a SPAC could become one of the main routes to market for companies looking for a, a quicker and less onerous way to to being listed? Well, the, the jury is out whether they will be the main route, or but they will definitely be another route that was in front of was there but wasn't front of mind, and now it definitely is. When we talk to advisors uh, looking at these processes, they're saying that whether before. Before, they were looking at a dual track, potentially selling to private equity uh, or a private uh, trade buyer and, and looking at a listing at the same time. Now they're often looking at a triple track. So the SPAC route is there from the beginning and is a very feasible and very uh, pretty serious option that is there. Effectively, almost any company that is an m target and that uh, could be considering an IPO would be a SPAC target. So that is definitely there. And that will be the case for some time, given the amount of vehicles looking to acquire. So what's the appetite from European fund managers to invest in SPACs? I think some London-based fund managers might remember that it wasn't that long ago that the Indonesian mining company Boomi, which started out life as a, a cash shell or a SPAC by Nat Rothschild, and delisted a few years later at a fraction of its original value with lots of controversy relating to corporate governance and ownership. Do you think that's going to put some people off investing, some fund managers off? 
So one thing I'll say, I think European fund managers are definitely interested and they're very much looking to jump on board and, and see, you know, what are the opportunities there. Now, in Europe in particular and in London specifically, I think definitely people will have that in their memories and will be particularly cautious about that. Uh, that relates to the sectors they are looking at. So they will be quite careful about the sectors they are looking at. But there's also the fact that uh, just because it's a SPAC, it doesn't mean it doesn't have any corporate governance requirements or it doesn't mean there isn't any investor education there. Uh, it's not the same as the traditional IPO process, but there's definitely a chance to, to look into uh, the companies being acquired and especially if there is a vote on those companies being acquired, then investors will get a say on that. Uh, it will depend on the sectors that are being looked at. Again, if we have this growing ESG element and sustainability linked element, I think uh, that might be something that investors can overcome. They will definitely have a, uh, I don't think it will put them entirely off, but they will probably be more cautious on, on that front. Great. Thanks, Sophia. Thank you. That was Sophia Sakira, Merger Markets ECM Editor for EMEA. SS&C Intralink's latest deal flow predictor, based on data from the company's due diligence platform, highlighted a number of other trends in M&A. I spoke to Ken Bisconti and Bob Petrocchi, co-heads of SS&C Intralink's, to find out more. So let's start by looking at an overview of M&A activity globally. What did you see in the last quarter of 2020 and what are you expecting to see in the early part of 2021? Bob, perhaps you can start with that one. Yeah, through a turbulent year. I mean, obviously, Q2 was a very challenging quarter for the market. But through all the challenges, the M&A market ended up at a high. Um, we think leading into 21, it's a great time of opportunity. So there's a lot of confidence in the market from Q4 that definitely bled over. And we're seeing a, a pretty significant uptick in Q1 um deal volume so there's no no question about that our deal flow predictors pointing to better than a 10 percent growth in the m a market for announced deals in q2 so it looks like the the momentum is going to continue um, a lot of confidence a lot of resilience in the market ken i don't know what what your thoughts are i just echo that i think we you know we all saw that there were um a lot of um uh you know either deal holdoffs or uh you know deals dying in in Q2 of last year, um, but we were we were probably all positively surprised by the resilience of the market that came roaring back in the late summer and has continued even into the early part of 2021 so far. Um, so it's been very positive. And looking at the different regions, can you talk us through what, what's been happening in the APAC region and, and which sectors saw the most activity there, Bob? Sure. I think along with North America, APAC is definitely leading in global growth. Um, what we're hearing from sources like EY and the conference board, um, that the tighter controls they had around COVID and, and kind of containing the transmission, it definitely increased to, uh, it, it led to increased customer confidence and, and just more, more deal making. So uh, on top of the increased traditional deal making, they've also seen a boom in, in the IPO market. So, uh, and China's leading the leading the way there. So just a lot of activity overall in Asia Pac for sure. And turning to you, Ken, in the EMEA region, what activity and trends are you seeing there? Well, in, in EMEA, um, you know, despite the sheer number of lockdowns across EMEA and you know, made more complicated by the number of countries with you know varying um 
uh, approaches and and uh, and issues. Uh, the region's been trending relatively flat uh, from 2019 to 2020 um, and into uh, going forward. Now, late to the IPO boom, you know, EMEA's actually, you know, signaling it's not going to sit out the year. There have been already impressive listings uh, in 2021, including Dr. Martin's and, and Deliverco. Um, we see upcoming leg- legislative changes in the UK, such as the introduction of dual class structures, making you know London even more attractive for uh, for new issuance. Um, now, based on the deal flow predictor, EMEA IPOs you know came in pretty strong in Q4, um, actually nearly quadrupling the number of IPOs we saw you know getting started in Q4 the year before. Uh, our Q2 2021 M&A prediction for EMEA lands roughly between minus 5% and plus 5% growth. Now that's compared to what was predicted in uh, Q2 of 2020. And of course, we know that the, a number of Q2 deals in 2020 were uh, unexpectedly halted. So we're actually anticipating the, the actual numbers you know, to, to hit hot at the higher end of that spectrum, even though you know, it's a minus five to plus 5%. We fully expect it'll be at the higher end of that spectrum. Uh, as COVID begins to wear off, you know, some of the deal-making hesitance. And, you know, on the bankruptcy front, um, we have not been seeing the influx of distressed deals coming to market, you know, expected likely, you know, in that region, you know, due to moratoriums that were, you know, that were imposed in the region. Yeah. And it was certainly something, there was a ban on redundancies in Italy that I'm aware of, and I think in other countries as well. And looking at North America, we saw a lot of early stage deal activity. What other big trends have you seen in the North American region, Bob? Well, I, I think Ken touched on it a bit. Um, it, we have the adverse in North America than you do in EMEA and APAC because it's the, there is no um, regulations or protections against insolvency. So we've, we've seen uh, a big steady flow into the U.S. markets with both bankruptcies and in, in in, uh, insolvency. So our, um, you know, that trend continues f- for sure. We've seen it through most of uh, the second half of 20 and, in, and into the first quarter of 21. Um, and, and, you know, similar similar range between negative five and plus 5% growth in, in that space in North America. So that that's definitely going to play, um, play a part. And Probably Q2, you know, from from what we're seeing in the in the DFP, um, growth should be about 10% with distress volume. So it's it's significant. Um, you know, we, we touched upon IPOs. It's certainly a, a hot market, and I know you guys have been talking a lot about SPACs, but that's that's driving it. Um, we're, we're also seeing uh, DSPAC activity in the market, which is is interesting. But you know, there's 360. Um, IPOs this year compared to 480 for the entirety of 2020. So, so definitely some some increased volume there. And just looking at that SPAC boom in a bit more detail, it's something that we heard from Sophia about earlier. From your perspective, Bob, what has driven this massive increase in the number of SPACs over the last year? There's just simply too much cash in the market right now. It's it's a seller's market. Valuations are super high and SPACs are relatively easy to form. You can get it done quickly. You can raise cash and you can close on, on the deal faster. So they're they're very agile. Um, equity capital markets are booming across the globe. So there's a lot of private equity companies um, that want IPOs. But 
IPOs immediately without growing through uh, through a window. So um, there's plenty of cash sitting around, and private companies with favorable valuations are looking to exit quickly. So it's a perfect marriage right now. Looking at Latin America, uh, we also saw a high level of early stage deal activity there. Can you tell us more about that and, and other trends in the region there, Ken? Yeah, happy to. Um, I think first of all, it's important to remember that you know, as a whole, LATAM is the most susceptible region that we've seen to geopolitical and economic swings. But that said, they've been able to minimize the impact of COVID, at least on M&A and, and capital markets. Now, when we look, um, you know, year on year uh, to the, you know, to our Q2 predictions for um, uh, for M&A, the region's actually in a positive range with a you know five to ten percent upside, and surprisingly, we're seeing even greater than ten percent growth in in both M and A and IPO volume in in Brazil. And um, you know that's despite you know COVID recovery challenges. These numbers are pretty you know remarkable, which makes us ask almost you know like how is this happening and. Um, I know there's a lot of you know market speculation on that. Uh, there was a you know Reuters um, uh, article recently that you know really the impetus that's been driving capital markets in um, in Brazil is is just as in many other areas the investor need for growth outside of fixed income returns, and so um, uh, positive surprise in, in LATAM and expected to be uh, quite strong year on year. You know, it's interesting. We have a we have a strong business in Latam. We've been operating there for you know over the last ten years, and one thing that's constant is that geopolitical unrest is is always the uh, the the flavor down there. So I, I think the region has become resilient, and they're used to operating in such. Not a new topic for them. <laughs> no, not not at all. They know how to operate. Looking at some of the sector trends, technology obviously had a great year last year with the pandemic, with trends such as home working and online shopping. But some of the big tech stocks have seen exponential growth in recent years. However, there are some clouds on the horizon for a lot of those businesses, with global regulators looking at how to better restrict their market power. How are these antitrust probes in the US, China and Europe likely to impact M&A in the tech sector? Well, Juliana, it's a it's a great topic. There's you know been a lot of interest in this, and as a result of that interest, there there's actually a specific spotlight in the DFP report on this topic. Um, you know, regulatory decisions and antitrust probes are are likely to have an impact, as you mentioned, uh, on the sector. And you know, in fact, recently we held an M and A virtual summit. Uh, at Interlinks, where you know there are a number of experts and legal experts in this area discussing that topic, the the general consensus was that we shouldn't expect seismic change at least immediately. Um, but there are a number of people, obviously, watching you know recent nominations to to the FTC and and NEC of advocates that are um, you know advocating decentralization of big tech. Um, as well as the recently proposed, you know, Klobuchar uh, bill, um, and that can shift antitrust laws, you know, uh, in, in a way favoring, you know, um, uh, potentially, you know, more activity and maybe even breakup activity in that sector. So, more to be said there, but you know, at least from uh, the DFP, you know, we see that early stage M and A is continuing to outpace volume from last year. 
And, you know, deal makers aren't showing any sign of retreat from, you know, approving new new deals from, you know, FANG and other uh, others in big tech. Great. Thank you both very much. Great. Thank you. That was Ken Bisconti and Bob Petrocchi, co-heads of SS&C Intralinks. I'm Juliana Needham. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Dealcast, presented by Merger Market and SS&C Intralinks. Please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or look out for your Merger Market news alert. For more information, check out our show notes. Join us next week for another episode.